Okay, we've got him on the show, Christy. We have to ask him. Oh, come on. It's too big. It's right up there with asking what change was made to the Hickman pitch to let it go through. If we don't ask it now, we'll never get to. We have to seize the day, dear. Uh, but what if it's too much? No, sweetheart, we need to take the big swing. No one got anywhere without taking chances. You're right. Let's do it. Uh, hi, Chris. You know, I've been here the whole time, right? Is it recording time? Was I too early, or...? No. No, you're right on time, Jordan, but we, we wanted to start off with the big question. Um, okay. Shoot, I guess. Okay, Jordan, so we've read a decent amount of X-Men, and, um... Well, that X often stands for ten, right? Ten of swords, Moira ten, weapon ten. So our question is, is the X always a ten? Whoa. I don't know if I can really answer this one. It's a huge editorial secret. Wow, this has really caught me off guard. Oh, no, Jordan, we're so sorry. Ne never mind, it's fine, it's fine. No, 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 it's it's cool. Um, It'll be nice to get it off my chest, off the record. I'll let you know. Oh, my gosh. So, is the X always a ten? Yeah, it's always a ten. Whoa. Oh, my God, so X-Men really stands for ten men? Yeah. Founded by Charles Tenavier. Whoa! Is X-Factor is 10-Factor? Absolutely. And once we reveal what 12-Factor is, you're going to flip. Whoa! And the reality show team is really 10-Stata-10? Yes. Whoa! What a bombshell right off the top. I don't know how we're going to top that. I might as well throw away all these questions. Let's just do what we do and talk about comics? Yes! I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to this special Ten of Swords episode. And if you, like us, cannot wait for the X-Men event of the year, make sure you've taken a look at this year's X-Men free comic book day issue. If you didn't pick it up in stores this July, it's available for free on Comixology. And this coming Wednesday, the 16th, look for the two Prelude issues, Excalibur number 12 and X-Men number 12. And the following Wednesday, the 23rd, we get the first of our Hamburger Bun issues, X of Swords Creation. And who better to talk us through the ins and outs of this event than senior editor in charge of X-Men Comics, Jordan D. White. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So, Jordan... You, it was a really big year last year, uh, as far as X-Men is concerned, I think to put it completely mildly. Um, you and the team released House of X and Powers of Ten and moved on to Dawn of X, which has expanded at C2E2, the Chicago comics convention that was one of the first and uh, definitely the last ones of this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was announced that uh, the next event was going to be called Ten of Swords, which was originally supposed to come out in July, but due to the world, it has <laughs> moved. Yes, all true. So far, it all checks out. It all checks out. So we had some 
things we wanted to ask, wanted to talk about, especially because the the readers are voracious for for X of Swords. Especially, you know, things getting pushed back, like things we getting were pushed prepared. back and expanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, like you said, when it was July, it was just going to be July. Like it was literally the entire. I think the entire story was going to be in that one month. But yeah, uh, I mean, basically, the the story grew the story grew and we had the time to grow it so we said let's do it and we knew that at at the time when we made the decision it was when no comic books were coming out at all when everything Mm -hmm. was actually completely stopped industry-wise as far as releasing goes and we said you know people love our x books they're gonna want more of them like let's let's do this we've got an idea for more story it and we've got the time to pull it off let's do this it seemed like a great idea at the time. It turned out to be so much work, but it's <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's been good. We actually just finished uh, the first issue the other day completely. It, I've I've now seen it a hundred percent done. It's off to the printer and everything, and it's awesome. It's super cool. So this first issue is what I have termed to be obnoxious. Um, <laughs> One of the Big Mac bun issues, sure, because it's uh, because it's the there a lot of times your crossovers that are they're not necessarily events that that kind of take place over over different titles. But a lot of times they like to have an alpha and an, and an omega. Yes, but X of Swords is, is is a little bit is a little bit too big for that. Yeah. So it's it has one in the middle as well. We we very much didn't want to call them alpha and omega already, and then when we added a third one, we were like, what are we going to do? Call one alpha and one epsilon and one omega like that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous so we came up with uh creation stasis and destruction which is not as far as i'm aware it's not actually a thing like it's not like oh well of course that classic trilogy of terms we talked about it and again both jonathan hickman and teeny howard are are doing like the big overarching plan for this and mm-hmm. we went to teeny and we're like let's is there something we could call these three issues that kind of has like like a magical feel like 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 to do with a spell or to do with tarot or to do with things like that and she came up with this trilogy which i think sounds really cool and works really well for the story it definitely is mold breaking in in that i mean i I feel like the the alpha and omega is like a is like a cliche at this point where i was pretty pretty stoked to see the sort of the sort of different nomenclature it it felt unique and cool in ways that x-men has been really unique and cool recently so it, it definitely kept the trend of that up the other thing about alpha and omega is i i i think that there's i mean i don't want to disparage a, a a practice that a lot of people use including you know my colleagues at marvel all the time but i think it is kind of a confusing term in the sense that I think sometimes it's unclear whether the alpha and omega issues are actually just issue one and the last issue or bonus issues. Oh, that's fair. Mm. Cause you, there have been like alphas and then part ones. Yeah. Yeah. So that's completely fair. Whereas this one is part one creation. Yeah. This is the first chapter. You can't start with, with X factor. I mean, you can, of course, do whatever you want, but you will have missed the beginning of the story for sure. Like this is the issue to start on. Right. Um, it's huge. It's awesome. And it's, it's worth it. It's, it's really, really fun. The other thing being, you also, going back to your hamburger metaphor, cause that's what we're really talking about. <laughs> it's, it's a, I, uh, and that specifically you, you did say Big Mac cause you, yes, uh, the middle, cause you're the middle bun. Middle bun. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's apt because there kind <laughs> of are two patties here. The, the, the part of the story before stasis and the part of the story after stasis are, 
like the two distinct halves of the story for sure. Oh, so um, so stasis isn't isn't is in a big way kind of a turning point. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. And it it always was structured in that same way, even back when it was a single month story. It was always going to be like this half of the story and that half of the story. It's just that now both of those halves are bigger and have more in them. And I think at that time, if I remember correctly, I think we didn't have a middle a middle bun back then. I think the middle bun back then was another issue of X-Men. Okay. Yeah. But, but I don't, it's, that's hard to remember to be honest with you. It's, it was so long ago. <laughs> I think early on before everything changed, I knew some people who had seen some sort of, some sort of information. I don't know if it was, if it was from a, uh, like a trade publisher or something and they were trying to glean stuff from that, but it was, it was of course like rendered moot, like, a month later. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, a lot, a lot was. We had, oh, sure. if you recall, we had a an X summit at C2E2. That was mm-hmm. why we, that's, I mean, that's not literally why, but that's half the reason that we had everybody there at the same time. So we went, well, we can to do both things at the same time. So much of the stuff we decided there got thrown out the window when, when plans changed and when everything got shaken up. And not, again... I, well, I want to say not in a, in a bad way. I, I, if you really, really loved one of those ideas that went out the window, I guess it is in a bad way. But I think for overall, we, <laughs> we ended up in a better place and have great, better plans now. But, but yeah, things shifted hugely. <laughs> that's what, that's what giant worlds changing events do in real life. Giant, not in comics. I, in, in, in comics, they do that too, but I meant real life events. <laughs> You might, one might say that the real life one would definitely shift. Uh, <laughs> the comics one even harder than the comics one would. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, at least C2E2 still had the fabulous omelet bar that you guys had. I feel like I saw a lot of pictures. It was great. On Twitter. Do you remember at the end of Sunday when uh, we, 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 had, we said like 15 goodbyes? Because, oh, yeah. So at the end of Sunday, we were hanging out with, with Leah and Vita. And- oh, okay. And teeny, and they were like, "No, but we have to go. No, but we really have to go. No, but we really have to go." <laughs> oh yeah, because they had to go to sleep, get up first thing in the morning for <laughs> right. for omelets. And I will tell you, when I got to that room, so oh, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about omelet bars. But when we got <laughs> to the room, I was the first one there because I was running the meeting. So I was like, "I should get there a little early." Yeah, you got to get there first. Sure. But the thing is, early meant because everybody was so tired from the night before. Like early was like when the room was booked for, and Everybody else was coming like a half hour later, except A, we didn't expect to have an omelet bar there. So I literally was texting everyone like, uh, you guys, like, this is insane. You guys should come <laughs> down as quickly as possible. I'm, I, I, and I sat in that room like by myself with the person behind the omelet bar for like a half hour. Going, I'm so, I'm sure they're coming. I'm sure they're going to be here soon. I'm so sorry. Keep that, keep that griddle hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so really serious question here okay your your mustache it's it's <laughs> quite an aesthetic and i'm i'm very interested in any products that you use or maintenance it's it, it's a signature and i feel like we need to delve into that wow when, when i was <laughs> asking about questions this was the first one christy came up with it was fantastic when i first started having this mustache I, I used no a special product on it at all because for some reason, the idea of mustache wax, which people will often go like, Oh, you must use mustache wax. Like for some reason that like, 
I don't want to say grossed me out. That's a little too extreme, but just seemed weird to me. The idea of like putting like crusty wax in your mustache and having it be like kind of hardened. Like I was like, Mm -hmm. that's, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so I would just kind of twirl it a lot and, and, and that. But then because I started watching (laughs) Queer Eye, (laughs) they got me to start using oil on it. Beard oil. So I have some bulldog beard oil that I use on it. I'm I'm currently out of a lot of my products, but I'm a, I'm a beard oil guy as well. It's nice. I, it smells good. Oh yeah, it's great. And it's not crusty wax. No, it, it, <laughs> like you don't. It goes like you don't feel it all day long, and that's the part that I was always like weirded out by. Oh yeah, it, it, I, I expected to feel that it to feel more greasy than it really does. It, it it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's nice. I other so, than that, I just twisted a lot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just look like a villain. <laughs> So I'm kind of an inside baseball person with comics. I think that's always one of my favorite things about it. And it's always hard when things are happening because you, you can't, you kind of can't know that stuff because like, obviously it's, it's like always a giant spoiler, but I was, I was curious if, so it seems to, to me and probably to other readers that, that sort of the, the, the first hints of X of Swords or 10 of Swords rather was kind of seated in Powers of 10 number four, which is when Apocalypse arrives. And he is immediately like, oh, this is this island I know, Krakoa, and let me tell you a little bit about the secret. No, wait, he, I'm sorry. This That was a – Doug explained this history. Right. But, on the, um, when he was on the island, yeah, for the first time, he, like, gleaned its its history, yeah. Right, because Professor Xavier was like, oh, the island's sad, and Doug's like, you don't, you don't speak island. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if at that point was it known that this was going to be, like, the next event – or was this just like a, a later thing to to be explored in a more amorphous terms than that? Yeah, uh, and more the latter. Jonathan is well. <laughs> it's probably an understatement to say Jonathan is good at seeding future stories. It's something that he does often and well. And this was just one of those. And I've 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 said that Teeny is one of the co-planners of this, and that's because the actual thing that is Ten of Swords very much has grown out of both stuff that Jonathan had planned from the beginning and stuff that teeny 100% brought to this. For example, and this is, I mean, the big one, the big one is that the book Excalibur was teeny's idea. Like she came in pitching, you know, the idea of mutants because they can, how, how, how does she like to put it? Uh, basically like because they're, they can focus on building culture and society that they can start engaging in mutant magic in a way that they couldn't when they were more focused on survival and, you know, fighting for their existence, right? Yes. And, and, and she didn't have it as an Excalibur book, but we went, what if we bring Captain Britain stuff into it and just make it an Excalibur book? And that would be perfect. And it was in that planning that Teeny said the idea of brought in this idea that apocalypse would be the, the driving force in this interest in mutant magic. That wasn't part of Jonathan's plan. Now, Jonathan did have that secret history that you alluded to and that you're going to learn more about. And he knew in some ways where that was going to go. I mean, trust me, when you read Ten of Swords, I think you will see it would not be what it is without that Excalibur side of things existing. Absolutely. It's, it's, it seemed like kind of a, ma- like a, like an obvious match made when you like really consider it going from like the, Hey, there, there, there was an excursion at some point with, with otherworldly demons that is kind of ill-defined at this point. Obviously, I'm sure we're going to learn more. Mm-hmm. It melding with this, the like magic side of otherworld. It, 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 
it made so much sense that it didn't it it I didn't even consider that it wasn't something just immediately thought of from the start. It's 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 seamless in in that way. I like I I'm pretty sure. You know, I'm I'm positive. The the other world had nothing to do with it. And and it was cuz again, it wasn't like he was like and then we will pay off this thing that I like at at this point in our in our story. He just had a thing that yeah, we'll do something like that and then at some point in my entire run, which will be years and years and years, so we'll see when that happens. And then as we planned the other series and as uh, we heard where they were going and what they were doing, it became clear to him, oh, where Teeny is going is going to dovetail perfectly with this thing that I was planning to do, so let's make that the next thing. And that's when the specifics of it started all coming together. Okay. I love the the collaborative storytelling and the world building, and I, I teach theater and i love so much of how comic storytelling is really uh, the principles are really aligned with like improv and that mm. gift giving and the the seed sowing and setting up stories and working to seamlessly tell a story that nobody had planned from the beginning i, th- I think that's just beautiful when that works well and, and thought- your group particularly is 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 sort of unique and in, in doing some new things in terms of that collaborative storytelling that I'm sure it has been done to some extent before, but it's it's interesting hearing about your your weekly Zoom calls and your Slack channel that I, I we get like s- slight hints dropped from such you know like that Jerry Duggan really likes the saxophone emoji. <laughs> <laughs> but how how has that how has that been for for planning? Is that is that in general? I mean, the Zoom calls are. are probably obviously new because they're new to all of us but yeah that that really like incredibly tight-knit sense of everybody on the same page in an editorial office uh, is that is this a, a kind of a new paradigm or is it just or, or has this been done before and maybe we're just seeing sort of more of it now i mean i know historically it's certainly been done before in the sense that there was a time when the comics industry all lived in new york and knew each other a lot more and, and sometimes would work together more. You know, like back in the, in the eighties X, X books, late eighties X books, they were all people who worked together working on them. And even in the nineties, I think as well, like they were a little bit, they, they were, they all knew each other and were working together. That said, in my career, which started in 2007, this is, Definitely the tightest collaboration in, in an office that I've been a part of. And, and that's because there's a lot of times there's a slightly lighter, you know what I mean? A lighter continuity in the sense that you know, you might have an Avengers book that has all the Avengers in it, but it's not necessarily always the case that the Iron Man book and the Captain America book and the, you know, whatever book at the time is going Captain Marvel or, or whatnot are all in a hundred percent lockstep with it. You know, a lot of times you'll go, well, we'll reference this and that, but like it doesn't, they don't all have to be perfect. And and in addition, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times they're working with, especially historically, they'll be working with the kind of more loose status quos of things like Peter Parker is Spider-Man and he lives in New York. And mm-hmm. guess what? Does he work for the Daily Bugle? Well, yes or no, depending on when you're talking about, but sure. Whereas we're in a place where the baseline, what are the X-Men doing and where are they, has shifted so hugely that Starting from that point of going, well, first of all, everything's different, made it feel like, well, we really should come together and and make one thing as much as possible. That said, 
I don't want to make it sound like we literally are only telling one story and you have to read every book. One of the things I'm most proud of about the line, let's say pre-Ten of Swords, because during Ten of Swords, you kind of need to read all the chapters. But <laughs> before that, I'm very proud of the fact that all the books are a distinct thing. They all stem from Krakoa. They all touch on similar ideas uh, of, of where mutants are right now. But there's a reason for every book to be a different book. It's not just, here's another X-Men, and here's another X-Men, and here's another X-Men, which sometimes in the past, without naming any specific eras, have has been a criticism I've, I've had of the, of the line. Mm-hmm. The Excalibur book is a very different thing from the X-Force book, is a very different thing from the X-Factor book, from the X-Men book, from Wolverine, from Cable, from all those things. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's important to me, and, and I think so far we've been hitting it. So, sorry. I, I Wow, I went on some, some tangents there. Back to the thing you actually asked about, about collaboration. When we started the X-Slack, I was like, okay, well, let's see how this works. And I, I am so thrilled with how well it's worked. Everybody who's writing an X-Book for us is so great to work with and so collaborative. And it's been really, really good and really helpful. I'm on that thing constantly. I mean, technically, I'm on it right now. Like, I have it just in a different window <laughs> on my computer. Any new messages? Uh, one in, in a folder, in a, in, a, in a channel that I can't tell you the name of because we haven't announced that book yet. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> soon enough soon enough there's probably secret members of the x slack that you also can't tell there us might about. be there might I've be wonder- i've still wondered about the zoom calls if anybody gets like creatively cropped out in some of the pictures. <laughs> no we have not cropped anyone out but we have allowed people to be shown for sure yeah um, maybe yeah certain people <laughs> all right. well, hold on before yeah. we talk about specifics there <laughs> let me stop you and just say the Slack has been a revelation and awesome. And uh, at this point, so again, in the sense that if I was sh- suddenly closed down in the X office and they said to me tomorrow, like, oh, absolutely, we need to shift you to the Spider-Man office. I don't know if I would say, oh, I absolutely have to get a Spider-Man Slack going because things are different over there. You know what I mean? Like they don't have as tight knit of a, we're all pulling in the same direction because we're creating a new world for Spider-Man right now, you know? Uh, so I don't know if it would it would be necessary, but where we are right now, it is both necessary and awesome and rewarding. The Zoom calls have been one of the few positive things to come out of this awful year and situation. Because that, it is yeah. wild how much what you were saying is mirroring like, <laughs> a, like a high, like a high, like a microcosm of of a bunch of other people uh, who are not writing X-Men. But. Sure. <laughs> I mean, because I'll say, like, before, well, I said we went to C2E2, right? They, they, we made a special situation where we went, oh, we can all go to this convention, which is a useful thing for everyone, and make an announcement and have a big showing publicly. And then we can use that to also be in the, physically in the same room to have a summit, because those are very rare and very special. And while I'm sure they will be a thing that we do again in the future when we are able to get into the same room together, and that still will be awesome and special, uh, in some ways, we've kind of blown that up because once we realized, oh, we can get on a Zoom call with all the writers, and it's exactly as easy as getting on a Zoom call with the other editors. Yeah. It, it's yeah. exactly as difficult <laughs> as any meeting I go to now every day. So – we don't have to make a big crazy deal about, oh, this is a summit. Like those only happen like twice a year if you're lucky. Like, no, no, we just go, well, yeah, we'll just have one. Let's do another one. Two weeks. Let's do this. (laughs) 
and we all, and we go on and we schedule it for this amount of time. And we usually take twice as long as that because A, we have a lot to talk about and B, we all just like each other and want to keep talking and talking and talking. So it's, it honestly has changed the way I look at how we communicate with our freelancers. Like it, it, I, I want to do it all the time. Like I, I hope that even if there was a, 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 well, again, without getting specifics, even if we could go back to the office safely tomorrow, that we would still go, there's no reason to stop these calls. Let's absolutely keep doing what we're doing. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm currently working in an office and it has been decided to some extent that it is often just easier to do that. To, to, like, uh, I, I do the equivalent of Zoom calls with people who, who work 20 feet from me just to, just to make that much more of a distance. <laughs> I, I don't want to go back to having to go to a room. It's, I prefer, I just prefer my desk for some reason. That's great. <laughs> okay, so I have a character-specific question. I'm not sure how much you can tell me here, but uh, you have mentioned that Storm is going to have a prominent role going forward, and we really haven't seen her. Like, she's been in, you know, stories. She's been in Marauders, but she hasn't... She hasn't been absent. No, she hasn't been absent, but she hasn't really had that prominent leading role that a lot of people are looking for from her. Can you talk a little bit more about her role going forward? Only a little bit. She's got some awesome things that she does in Ten of Swords, but I will say, I, I don't want to say I regret saying that bit because I, I don't. I, but here's the thing. I said it because I got super excited about an idea and, and I, but I'm, a, I'm afraid I've, I spoke too soon. Not because it's not going to happen. It is, but because it's not going to happen for a bit. Like okay. this was a plan we were making for next year. So a year from now, you guys will know exactly what it was. Cause you'll be like, Oh, obviously it was that. Like that's, Huge, <laughs> but okay. it's going to be a little while before it happens. Uh, that said, again, Storm is an awesome character, and we do have some great stuff in Ten of Swords. We've announced all the issues of Ten of Swords, so you guys do know at this point that Vita is writing issue thirteen of Marauders. That we issue do. is a Storm centric issue that is kick ass. It's super good. We are we are super excited about about that issue since it was announced chris christy is possibly the world's greatest fan of the comic book marauders uh, <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> possibly definitely up there but i'm a pretty big fan so i don't know we'll we'll rock paper scissors for it yeah that's fine <laughs> uh and we we we've been hungry for for some vita ayala writing so we are we're pretty excited mm-hmm it's it's going to be terrific, and and Storm does some awesome stuff even after that as well in the in the crossover. So she's got some awesome things in there that I'm I'm excited for, and I think people will enjoy. But the very specific thing that I was like, oh my god, I just heard the the best plan for Storm. It is going to be a little bit. <laughs> we'll get there, and it's yeah. going to happen. I, I I'm not. It's not in any doubt in my mind that it will happen. And like I said, if you set a, a, a reminder for a year from today where you say. Do you know what the thing was that Jordan was talking <laughs> about? That was the, the huge storm thing. That alarm will go off, and you'll go, "Oh uh, yeah, it was that." Definitely. Okay. <laughs> so it, it's a you, it's a uh, wait wait for the signal, and you'll know it when you see it. So you'll know, you know it if you see something happen with storm, and you're like, "I wonder if that was it." That wasn't it. Okay. <laughs> good good to know. In that sort of vein, who are the characters to sort of watch in X of Swords? I guess going into it, so I, obviously you're not going to go, well, in the middle here, uh, <laughs> uh, that's so, it's so tough. Is, so, is it all of them? <laughs> I mean, hopefully everybody has 
all all of the, well not literally all of the characters because sure. there's too many X-Men but Hundreds. hopefully yeah hopefully all of the let's say hopefully all of the sword bearers most of whom I think everybody knows at this point but I won't I won't say their names just in case people aren't sure of all of them um, I think they've all been on covers but maybe not necessarily like I don't know if anybody's yeah. come up with a bulleted list. Yeah. Right, right. I think, I think there's, there, yes, you're exactly right. But definitely all of them, I think we've been trying really hard to make sure they all have great, great moments. I mean, I don't think it's, I think it's pretty apparent, again, from covers that Apocalypse is a pretty big deal in this story. Oh, <laughs> so <definitely>. there's <laughs> going to be a lot of Apocalypse stuff in a lot of different ways. But beyond that, I think the sword bearers are the biggest ones and, the new characters are super awesome. There are some really good bits for a couple of non-sword bearer characters as well, who, well, again, I, I can't say too much, but who right, are right. affected by the things that happen to the sword bearers and also are drawn in by the sword bearers to different things. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry to be weirdly cryptic. Um, well, no, we understand. Uh, we were trying to but even if these questions in ways where we would not... Go like, yes. hey, what's going to happen to Cyclops? <laughs> right, right. Even if you just look at the sword bears, that's like pretty much 20 characters right there. So that's a lot of characters. Now, there are 22 parts, so so there's a lot of room for story. And hopefully we will cover a lot of ground in that. But that's a lot of characters already. And there will be some other ones that get some some nice spotlight time. So not super specific to Ten of Swords here. Can look beyond this here. But we... We've had some really notable moments of queer representation in Marvel Comics recently, especially Hulkling and Wiccan's Wedding. Can those of us, i.e. me, looking for non-subtextual uh, sapphic romance in the X-Line expect representation anytime in the near future? I think that uh, is something that we definitely are always striving for. I think there are some things that will make you happy in the future, in the well, relatively near future. I, I can't say too much about our our romance plans, obviously, because they are right. You know, just stories, just little little scraps looking for. <laughs> yeah, for I think hope. there are little <laughs> things that will make you happy, though. I do think that, and I think I think hopefully in the future there will be even more. We're, we always are. We're we're striving for to to improve on these things at all times, and I know that we have creators who are committed to doing so. So absolutely true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know that that we're going to make progress. Yeah, we did get that uh, fantastic bit where we had the the non X line confirmation of Mystique and Destiny's mm-hmm. very explicit relationship, and then the very in X Men confirmation of it with the with the the now now classic I want my wife back. Yeah, I, honestly, I feel like that's one of those ones that like it's like oh was that never confirmed? <laughs> <laughs> like I think everybody kind of took it as so like well he, yeah. I think that some of us, well, I mean, again, I, there's a lot of X-Men continuity, but I think, I think if you had asked me, has it never been said? I probably would have been like, it must have been said. Right. I, I mean, I came to X-Men, <laughs> like classic X-Men stories through, through Jay and Miles for the most part. And I, I, the way they talk about it is, is like, okay, Des- <laughs> Destiny and Mystique are, are our wives, our wives, and we're just going <laughs> to keep going like that. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. We were we we were thrilled to read that, um, mm-hmm. and we're we're hopeful for more in the future. Yeah. Well, uh, sadly, Destiny is dead forever and can never be resurrected. So, uh, <laughs> yep, so, <laughs> that's it for her. You never come up again. <laughs> um. So while the 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 ten the X is pretty obvious, what what was the deal behind swords? Was the was the tarot? 
Ten of Swords, which has a very particular meaning in tarot of like a moment of profound like failure and dread <laughs> and despair, um, was was the what came first the 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 tarot meaning or the wouldn't it be cool if everybody had swords meeting? <laughs> I think it was sort of a chicken or the egg situation in some ways, in that there were some swords and there were some and there was some magic and there was some all of these bits, and then Teeny wove it together by going. Oh, you know what we need to call this is Ten of Swords. And as soon as she said that, it was like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> right. It's too cool not to. Yeah. Like we did not have Ten Swords in place at that point. It's not like we had, we said, well, we have Ten Swords. Let's call it Ten of Swords. We had some swords. <laughs> and at least, I mean, again, at the very least, we had in that, uh, Powers of Ten issue you alluded to that you see this, uh, this sword that is, uh, what that split the island, right? So we had that, we had the magic thing, uh, uh, the whole magic quest of Apocalypse, and we had other swords in the very, in various books, as many people have noticed. Like, you know, magic has the, the soul sword. There's been a lot of sword, sword of might stuff, uh, within Excalibur. There's right. Betsy with her psychic sword. There's the, the light of Galador over in Cable. There's various, various swords. And when, when Teeny brought up that name, it was like, oh my God, that is perfect. And yes, of course, there are ten swords, though. So let's make this happen. <laughs> and then we made it happen. <laughs> so if readers aren't caught up, which, which they should be, which they should be, <laughs> which series are the ones that you most recommend that they catch up on to prepare for Ten of Swords? Before I tell you that, let me give you a bit of information that I think has never been said publicly before. Oh, an exclusive, a- are- exclusive. Um, it's not, listen, it's not like news shattering, but I think some fans would be interested and I think, uh, it's fun to talk about. So Dawn of X, right? There is a line of books called the Dawn of X books that the trades Dawn of X volume one through seven are out Mm -hmm. right now. And the Dawn of X line collects the entire X line into one series of trades Mm -hmm. for the first six issues. It was very straightforward in that it collected um, the first volume collected. There were six series going on. And so the first volume collected all the issue ones. Then volume two was all the issue twos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, through issue six. But starting with issue seven, uh, because we expanded the line out then, and we actually added in a bunch of books and it no longer became as simple as we just put them all together. And it's like a month's worth of books together. A month's worth of books was way too many. So, uh, volume one through whatever the last volume will be before the Ten of Swords happens, I actually went through and tried to put the stories in order. Oh. Now, now that I've publicly said that, someone will read them and immediately find a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually went through. So it's not as simple as, well, you just get one of every book and then you get the next one of every book and then you next. Like, so I think in volume seven, for example, the first issue of Wolverine, right, has two stories in it, two mm-hmm. two big stories. Only one of them is in Volume 7 because the, the B story of Wolverine number one takes place later. So it's going to be in a later volume. And there are going to be places now across the Dawn of X books where some of them have like maybe a couple of issues in a row because those three issues take place immediately following one another. So we put them in that order. Mm-hmm. So that was all just to say if – if you if you 
pick up House of X and love it and then go, oh man, I'm behind and I, I, I don't know what to do. Well, one thing you can do is just pick up the Dawn of X line as they come out and that will get you every single X book in our line mm-hmm. in something like order. <laughs> So that's specific order. That is exciting. Yeah, I like I tried to actually look at it and go, well, this character gets captured here and they get rescued there, so don't put between it the one where they appear in that other book. Like things like that. Now the first six being the way they were messes with that a little, but I I really worked at it and I did my best. I'm again, I'm positive I messed up. That's a lot of issues to order in to put in order. But I worked really hard on it and I I'm proud of it. So there we are. Yeah, that's uh that's kind of a, a Herculean task in some ways. And I and I also tried, well, but I was going to say I also did it so like you didn't get too many issues of a book in, in the same volume. Like I tr- I tried to never let it be three issues of the same book in the same volume because then it's like you're just buying a volume of that book. So I always would mm-hmm. try to like s- schedule them so that multiple a, a bunch of issues in a row would be split over two books. I I, I did a lot of work on it and I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Um Anyway, if, you, if, however, you're like, I don't want to spend money on a zillion X-Books, that's fine. The most important ones to know what's going on in are probably X-Men and Excalibur. Now, X-Men is sort of a funky book because it's Jonathan doing sort of this weird overview of the X-World where, where mm-hmm. you know, he'll do a one-off issue that it's like, wow, is that – what, what's going is that going to be continued in the next issue? And the answer is, no, nah, not necessarily. Like, the next one's going to have other crazy stuff in it that goes in a totally different direction and is huge. But it gives you a sense of the society he's building. Meanwhile, over in Excalibur, like I said, you get Apocalypse setting in motion this quest that does involve him exploring mutant magic and catching all of these other characters who are not necessarily wanting to be part of his plan up in his plan. Um, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, Betsy Braddock, who becomes Captain Britain early in the process, and Richter as well. And... The stuff he does in that is important to Ten of Swords. So there's definitely stuff in X-Men and there's stuff in Excalibur that are very much setting up Ten of Swords. In the other books, there's definitely stuff that will carry over. Again, you know, like I mentioned, you know, there are swords in a lot of books and some of those are very important swords to Ten of Swords. But if you were, if you were on a limited budget and you were trying to get me to give you, what's the, what's the <laughs> minimum I should read? I would say read those. <laughs> Before you pick up all 22 issues, what are you? Yeah. Well, see, when you say it that way, then it sounds like before you pick up all 22 issues of that, pick up these 24 issues instead. <laughs> <laughs> there are pro- I, like, I could probably give you more specific issues of this issue, this issue, that issue, but then I feel like that's a little spoilery. Suffice it to say, though, issue 12, as you said, are definitely, of both series, are definitely prelude issues. They have things in them that specifically lead into issue one of of ten of swords mm-hmm. our our last question from us before we move on to some some kind of fun twitter questions the swordsmen of Araco, who were announced by name mm-hmm. uh, somewhat recently they have incredibly cool names and we wanted to know if it was a group effort to come up with those names there was this like a sit around the slack and toss cool names out sort of situation no no it was no. not uh okay. this was 90 percent jonathan hickman uh, I wondered because they were, I'm, I'm, I, Chris, me is a, is a long time Hickman reader and they were very black order y in some ways. <laughs> Jonathan named nine out of 10 of them. Now you might not count war and death. 
<laughs> so, so maybe if we don't count War and Death, he named seven out of ten of them. The w- one who was not named by him was uh, Solemn, who was named by Ben Percy for his Wolverine issue that he first appears in. Oh, mm. very cool. So he even named uh, our fa- the 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 now favorite of the internet Pogger Pog. Oh yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> for a very specific reason. Pogger Pog has that name for a very specific reason. Oh, yes, that's very interesting. Well, so that we can make pogs. <laughs> no, that's not the reason. But yes, it is for a very specific reason, and you will find out what that reason is. Yes, people would buy the pogs. <laughs> <laughs> Especially our particular generation of readers who are like in their in their early to mid thirties. Like, I'll tell you, I was not expecting him to be. I mean, I guess I don't know who I would have thought it would be, but I did, I was kind of caught off guard. Which is not to say he doesn't do awesome stuff in it. He does, but I, it's not like we were going. Well, this is the day we announced the awesome crocodile guy and other people. <laughs> like we were like they're all awesome, and so we were not expecting so much attention to go on him. He he's great. Pepe Larraz designed him so well. And basically what happened was, all right, I don't want to give too much away, but basically we knew uh, some things about some of these characters in big ways and other things, other of them, there was less information. So we kind of, Jonathan gave Pepe, here's what, here's what is the deal with these characters. There's one like this, there's one like this, there's one like this, there's one like this. And then Pepe drew them, gave us these amazing designs. And then John wrote like a little back, named them and wrote a little backstory for them. Um, not like, not like a long one, but like a, like a like a paragraph, a couple sentences. He know? reverse D and D charactered it. I love yeah, it. yeah. I mean, and again, some of them had more of a, a of a planned idea behind them than others, but some of them were really like. <laughs> I don't want to give away too much. No, it's I'm probably sure. it's you know what I'm gonna just do it. At least one of them, he said, have one that's like a monster. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and, Pepe, so, and so Pepe drew this awesome crocodile monster, and Jonathan went, great, named him, wrote a backstory for him. Yeah, that's – I don't think that gives away too much. He is a giant monster. I don't know what else, I don't know what else he said. He's a large crocodile monster. Well, since we're already talking about him, I need to ask a Twitter question from at Blankzilla. What is Pog Your Pog's favorite hobby or hobby? Hobby or hobby? Oh, uh, jeez. Uh, I don't know. Uh, arm wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, to, to give our, our, our website, uh, I guess a little, a little credence with it, with a Twitter question. What's the biggest lesson you learned in the success of the Dawn of X relaunch from at Xavier Files? Interesting. What's the biggest lesson I learned? Well, um, I think, I mean, again, I think it, it does have to do with the awesome things that we can achieve through this kind of really great creative collaboration. I, I mean, I've always, my approach to being an editor in comics has always been very much to try to let the creators, uh, you know, make the book, but <laughs> that seems so obvious, but I think if you know what I mean, like try to, give over to their vision of the book and help them make the best version of what they're trying to make rather than as much as possible, rather than trying to tell them, I need you to make this book more like this, you know, which is not to say that never happens. Uh, Sometimes it has to happen. Sometimes, you know, in in the way things are, you, you have no choice, but I always try to skew towards that to going, I brought in this person because I like what they do. Let's have them do it and help them do it. 
Um, I think Tom Brevoort is the one who has said many times that like, like casting the book is 90% of the, like 90% of the most important work. If you can get the casting of the book right, it makes the rest of the work so much easier. So I always try to lean into that and go, we've cast this person because we like them and we like what they do. Let's help them do that. But in this line, that has been expanded and blown up to the biggest version of it possible because, of course, that is very much what I'm doing with Jonathan, helping to deliver the line that he's imagining and that we are doing that by doing that again and again individually with each individual person and then again with the group as a whole coming together and going, what direction do we want this to go? Like Again, Jonathan has big ideas and he brought big, huge story things that are set up for the future. But he didn't, he didn't come in and go, so anyway, writers, here's what's happening for the next year. You're doing this, you're doing this. I'm hitting this beat here. And then that's happening. Like he comes in and he says, well, I'm going to do something like this. Like, how do we make this work? And everybody contributes and everybody gets on board and everybody works together to make these things happen. So being able to see that and kind of validate that idea of you can let the creative drive a whole line. You can let the creative side of it drive the whole thing and make good stories and be successful at it. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to get too businessy and too money <laughs> if you don't let it. <laughs> that is, that's a really great lesson, lesson to, to impart, I think. Yeah. I, I'm always kind of a fan of that, of that sort of bottom up storytelling. Yeah. Our next question is, is, is a delightful softball uh, from oh. at brawl 2099. What sword do you prefer? Um, and then he names like a ton of kinds of swords, but I, I figure you might already have one in mind. Well, yeah. Do I have a favorite now we're talking, and again, type of sword or like, Oh, or like a specific sword. name sword. Yeah. I think he right. meant like a, like a, like a katana or a scimitar. I mean, how dorky am I allowed to be? Because here's the thing. If you really are asking me, what's your favorite type of sword? I'm going to say, I'm going to say lightsaber. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm super nerdy. Like, what do you want from me? If it has to be a real life sword, that's a different matter. I would probably say, well, I'd probably say a fencing sword, uh, which is what a, uh, a foil, mostly because of, mostly because of the amazing, uh, ridiculous, uh, nightcrawler scenes in Excalibur. Oh yeah, uh-huh. he does so much fun stuff. Uh, the two of us uh, have, and a lot of our friends have been into foils and rapiers recently due to a popular book series called The Lock Tomb, Gideon the Ninth, and Harrow the Ninth, in which a lot of people fight with rapiers, and it's oh. very cool. <laughs> Highly recommended. I, so wait, what's the, what's the difference between a rapier and a foil? Which one is? I think one. I I'm I'm probably not the person to ask. I'm I, definitely not the person to ask. <laughs> I think one is is I think a foil is specifically for for like sport fencing, whereas a rapier okay. is for like hurting people. But I, so I someone's going to yell at me about it. I'm Nightcrawler sure. probably was using a rapier then. Uh, same or or like or like the ones from the Princess Bride, right? Like those yeah, could be yeah, rapiers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are badass too. They're yeah, okay, they're super. Cool. So a rapier has two edges. Oh, I just googled ah. it. Oh, and, that was a smart thing. Uh huh. <laughs> and. Foils uh, have no sharp edges right. and are pointy. All right. Well, oh. then let's. Okay. So they, it could have been really either one. Yeah. They're, but they're both very thin. I would have met one. Yeah. Tiny little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the with the little with the cool hilt that goes over your hand. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but they're still. They're, listen, they're super cool, but they're not as cool as lightsabers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. 
All right. At Malicious Glee on Twitter asks, just how much is Ten of Swords going to change the landscape of the current X books? Like on a scale of one to ten. Uh, you probably can't be too specific. Yeah, and not, not too specific. And it also depends on the book. Like I think there are books where it's going to be a huge change and there are books where it's going to be a, a smaller change. But I will say overall – there are some things that happen towards the end of it that are going to make a huge difference in the, the story of Krakoa going mm-hmm. forward. And, um, the, the, the thing being like, that, like, that overarching story of Krakoa doesn't necessarily affect ev- the literal, like, status quo of the events of every book, every issue. So it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. On average, I don't know, on average, maybe a six, but like, there are going to be ones where it's more, and there's going to be ones where it's less. That makes sense. We have a question from at Comic Book Herald. Apart from the Dawn of X, what would be some good X Men history to read to get hyped for this event? Oh. So some some classic X Men. Well, I mean, conveniently enough, the 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 thing that I can easiestly easiestly wow, that's a word <laughs> now. The thing that I can easiestly recommend is something I would like love to recommend in general always, which is uh, Captain Britain stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, yes, um, <laughs> if we yeah, uh, there's there's a vocal group uh, online who is really trying to get that omnibus reprinted because of some of the really cool classic Captain Britain stories. But of course, we're also getting a, a like Claremont, uh, Alan Davis, Excalibur omnibus coming pretty soon. So that would be a fun one to read, or you know, just absolutely epic collections and stuff. I mean, the the stuff that I mean, so like again, you know that Saturnine is a huge part of this. So mm-hmm. she's had some awesome stories that she's appeared in, and some crazy stories that she's appeared in. You know, what's interesting is I- I'm like a huge Alan Moore fan, and most of the time, if there's this thing that Alan Moore wrote, I'm always going to go. Well, obviously, the best part of it ever is the Alan Moore thing. Not so with Captain Britain. I love his Captain Britain, but I actually like the Davis Delano stuff more. Oh, interesting. Which I think is, is cr- like, again, it's crazy. Like, I'm literally, like, reading, rereading Providence right now by Alan Moore just for fun, because I'm just, I'm like, oh, this will be relaxing, <laughs> which it is not. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but in the, in Captain Britain case, I think my favorite Captain Britain run would, was the Davis Delano stuff. The Captain, uh, the, the Alan Moore stuff is great too. Uh, definitely read that as well. Um, right. there's going to be stuff from all of that that is relevant. The stuff that they did, uh, that, and then sort of the same is true though with Alan Davis and Excalibur because I love the Claremont and Davis Excalibur, but I think I prefer the Alan Davis written and drawn Excalibur even more. I think sometimes you get you get some really interesting stuff when someone gets to write and illustrate at the same time. So I, I, I know what you mean. Well, speaking of Captain Britain, at Big Dad Energy on Twitter asked, does Captain Britain count as magical girl transformation? And if so, what sailor scout is she most like? Yeah, Big Dad Energy has your number here, Jordan. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what sailor scout is Betsy most like? That's the easier part of the question because I'm, I'm going to have to analyze whether or not it's a transformation. But, but let me see which one I think she's most like. I feel like it's terrible to say she's like Venus because I feel like I mean I, I love every Sailor Scout, but you know Venus doesn't come off great in in all the stories. <laughs> um, the the nicer version would be to say because because again she's very she's very glamorous and and but also like very together. So maybe it's m- more uh, sensible to say she's like. Uh, uh, Neptune. 
Okay. Because yeah. Neptune is like super classy and super beautiful and super good at everything artistic. Like she's a super musician and doesn't she paint? I think she paints too, but also is super badass and can kick. Also is, you know, practically married as a teenager, but that's a side thing. <laughs> <laughs> Happens a lot in Sailor Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, whether it's a transformation. Oh, uh, yes. I'm going to say no, though, because just because it's not elaborate enough. Like, it, mm-hmm. uh, like I think that she, she tends to be able to just, you know, transform in that way that, you know, people with unstable molecules stuff kind of can sometimes, where it's just like, oh, I go from this to that. Like, it's not, we would need to dedicate a page every time if, in order to make it <laughs> proper. <laughs> oh, man, girl. just get one artist to draw it and just reuse it every time. <laughs> <laughs> At Howdy Duda asks several kind of, it's kind of one question, but it, it's pretty long. <laughs> Is the concept of tarot as a focus for Ten of Swords at narrative odds with the Dawn of X prescription against precogs? Is the use of an, of an interpretive and unverifiable, verifiable means of clairvoyance meant to emphasize the muddled and unclear future of Krakoa or a sharpening of clarity? That's a great uh, question. Yeah, great question. So. <sighs> This is complicated. Uh, well, I would say I don't think it's at odds with it because, well, because of the way it's used in the story. So it's not like, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like uh, uh, somebody's opened up a, a, a tarot business on Krakoa and and that's what kicks things off. So like that would be a little weird. Um, <laughs> although I, I I wonder if Magneto and 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 Xavier would even care. Like if they'd be like, that's nonsense. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> but that's those kind of like like. It is funny to me that they are, they are so much like men of, men of science in some ways that like we've barely even seen them in any of the mutant magic stuff. Like they're just yeah. like, they're like, ab- no, absolutely not. Uh, but as you, as you have seen in the free comic book day, so uh, if you haven't read free comic book day, I'm going to talk about it for a second. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. But pause I the episode. It's on comiXology for completely free. It is, it, it's very gettable. And right. then come back. And then come back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So the person doing the tarot reading is is Saturnine, who's already super involved in the world of magic and stuff like that. I mean, so she's not a citizen of Krakoa. She's not bound by its laws of no precognition. And also, I think it's pretty clear that the magic that she is using is, in the world of the story, super real and super right. Like, Mm -hmm. she's turning over tarot cards that have pictures of the X-Men on it. So it's not like (laughs) – she has to do slightly less interpreting than the people (laughs) who use tarot cards do. Right. Yeah. They don't, they don't, they probably don't have the same picture on them every single time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they wouldn't. So yeah, I don't think it's at odds with it. I think it's, uh, I think that's p- part of why it's there. You know, like they don't want pre- uh, precognition messing with their Krakoa plans, but they don't control the universe and that's still out there. In that same vein of, of, of tarot there, uh, at Robert Secundus asks, which of the characters in Ten of Swords do you most associate with the card The Fool? So I can't answer that. <laughs> oh, so this is this is like a – So that's characters being associated with cards is, is important. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I can't answer that because it's in there. Uh, okay. So, you'll so something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, because I would say, well, I'll just give my own thoughts, but I can't because, like, it's there. There are thoughts <laughs> put to paper. Okay, we understand. Yeah, yeah. We have a we have we have a, a fun Jordan Jordan specific oh. question from at M Turetsky, who asks, which REM song would you like they might be giants to cover, and vice versa. Oh, that's fun. Um, all right, yeah, all right. So you know what. <sighs> For for they would be giants to cover an REM song. I think 
to me, the, I mean, maybe almost too easy, but the, the easy choice would be Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight. And partially it's because one of the things I've always enjoyed about the MIP Giants is that they have a lot of songs where the lyrics get very conversational. Yeah. It, where it's, it's just like, I mean, it, there's a melody and it's singing, but like, what, what, what song is that? Uh, there's a song called, um, Thermostat where <laughs> the second verse after the chorus, the second verse lyrics are, as I was just saying, as I was just saying, as I was just telling you a minute ago, I was just talking and something interrupted, or was it all an explosion, or is the thermostat engulfed in flames, or is it just me? Mm-hmm. Like, they have that way of just going, like, we're just going to write lyrics that are just like a person saying stuff. <laughs> and that very much happens in Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight, with that, the verse where they go, <laughs> this is, what is this? this is the number, I tweeted it like a month ago, because I love it so much. Where he's talking about, like, uh, this is the number you can reach me at. There's no phone, but you can call the payphone. <laughs> let it ring for a long, long time. If I don't answer, hang up, call again, and let it ring some more. <laughs> Stuff like that. I can't remember exactly how it goes. I think they would nail it. I, and it's also a super fun song and super peppy, and they would, they would, they would do a great job of it. What they might be giant song should REM do? That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Because REM, well, I mean, I don't want to say They Might Be Giants are a silly band. They're not. They do some silly songs, and REM is not typically super silly. Yeah, they, they have a different. Yeah, the, the two of them have a different tone for sure. <laughs> you know what song would be cool? Would be no. I, I wonder if that's not artsy enough. They they do see that's the, that is the thing though. They both do have like an art an art performance background. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to say it anyway. There's a song that They Might Be Giants do called Pet Name. Which I think is a great song, but it's also like one of the most like emotionally true songs that like it doesn't hide behind a lot of stuff. Like their stuff some sometimes mm-hmm. does. Like so much so that if I remember correctly, when they would perform it uh, for a little like a while after it first came out, uh, Flansburg, who sings it, would go to the back of the stage and turn around and face away from the audience. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and it's a really good song, and it's a song that I think. And again, I really don't mean this in a dismissive way to the Envy Giants. They're probably my favorite band of all time. But in, it's, it's a song that I think would be interesting to hear a more straightforward band do a take on, if you know what I'm saying. Like a, yeah. a slightly less mm-hmm. off kilter band. Um, so I think that would be, that would be my choice. Okay. Another musical question for oh. you here at TD Mollusk asks, or he gives, he gives you a scenario. Uh, Gambit is leaving a bar and notices that the jukebox is free. He has enough money to play four songs, but he won't be there to listen to them. Which song does he pick to play on repeat and annoy everyone left in the bar? So he does a salt and pepper diner. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, well, for, for, before I think of the answer and or slash to give myself a little bit of time, I will say the real life answer to what I used to do, although I didn't leave the bar. It wasn't a bar. It was a pizza hut when I was in high school. <laughs> this, this is way better now. But I used to, they had a, like a CD jukebox mm-hmm. with like real albums in it. Mm-hmm. And in that jukebox was the white album. Mm-hmm. And so I would put on Revolution 9. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> just have a seat. <laughs> Which, by the way, I love. I love Revolution 9. I can listen to Revolution 9 on repeat for a while. Like it's, it's interesting. And I know, again, there are people who think I am insane right now but i adore it uh, just li- get yeah I, don't, I, I won't go on about it i love it 
Um, so what would Gambit do? Yeah, WWGD. <sighs> I don't, I don't know a lot of like New Orleans bands. Yeah, that, that's 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 fair. I, that's a kind of a, a blind spot for me too. I mean, I know some country, but I'm like, I don't know if Gambit's like. Does he really... listen to country? But I mean, he's not going to listen to it. He's leaving. Right. Oh, so, yeah. so it could be polluting the bar. Yeah, yeah. So what does what does Gambit think is terrible music? Maybe. Like, yeah. what do you think of Gambit putting on tub thumping four times in a row? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty into that, actually. I feel like he could. I feel like he would do that. I feel like he's into it. <laughs> That's fantastic. We used to have a uh, "We Hate This Bar" and we're going to put on a song ten times in a row song when we would leave. Yeah, sure did. What was it? <laughs> it's a song called "Poop Ship Destroyer." Oh, by Ween. I love Ween. Yeah, <laughs> but it starts really weird, and we're we're from we're from kind of a. Uh, the the college that we went to is in like a small town in the Midwest, and it would like people would really love to put on like I don't know, like she's gone country and stuff, and so we would just like drop that and leave if people were annoying us uh, because it would usually completely change the mood. The album version? I don't know. It was long. Oh, so that might have been the live album version, which. Where there's a couple of songs that I, I have a bunch of their live albums. <laughs> there's a couple of songs that I, on their live albums where I am like, I'm pretty confident what they are literally trying to do is play this song as slowly as possible. Yeah. That, no, that was it. That was it. We would, cause, cause it started off with them doing the poop ship destroyer, but like incredibly drawn out. Do, 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 yeah. do. Just yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, so weird. It is, yeah. It's very bizarre. And if we were, yeah, we were feeling particularly <laughs> cruel in college at a bar. That's great. <laughs> uh, the other one, the, the, uh, okay. So this is a uh, at Marvel. Back when we used to see each other, Marvel karaoke, which we would mostly do to like celebrate if someone was like going away or if somebody was, you know, was having a birthday or something. It started when John Moisen left. We started a thing where we would try to slip how you remind me into the playlist. <laughs> Just in random places, like multiple times per night. Um, which is fun. That is really fun. Our our last question, I mm-hmm. believe, comes from Mark Turetsky, who I think uh this is this seems like an inside baseball question a little bit. But he just wants to ask, why don't they speak Krakoan on Krakoa? They're a huge international community. They all speak Krakoan. Why are all the high-level meetings in English? Specifically because uh, there has, there was times in Hoxpox where it would say translated from Krakoan, and it, it just it kind of faded away, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those things that the there is a, a, uh, a disconnect between the perfect version of it and the, the, the making of it. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the, the two clear, easy, easy ones I can point to are Star Trek and Doctor Who. Um, in Star Trek, everyone is supposed to be speaking different languages. Right. And they, their universal translator is translating. Yeah. So their mm-hmm. mouths should move differently than they do, but they don't. But also, uh-huh. <laughs> but also, there's a famous moment that they, where this was pointed out to them that this doesn't work. And they went, yeah, but too bad. Like, this is how stories work. We're just going to do it, which is (laughs) the scene where they go, 
oh, Shakespeare, like you need to appreciate it in the original Klingon. And then he speaks the line in Klingon, to be or not to be. Well, he shouldn't be able to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. It should, he it should, should say, it's better in the original Klingon, to be or not to be. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it should be translated. <laughs> and the same is true. And the same is true anytime anybody speaks another language other than English in Star Trek. And the same is true in Doctor Who. They, they, they fudge it by going, the, the TARDIS psychically makes everyone speak, understand each other. But then either A, they will be completely without the TARDIS for a long time and it will still work. Or B, someone will speak in another language and it doesn't get translated and they don't explain why. And that, again, it's because it's really just, to give us something in English in our version of it. I think in an ideal world, yes, we would be saying they are speaking Krakoan at all times. We just don't bother to mention it anymore. The problem being that we have had moments where people have said something in Krakoan, mm-hmm. which kind of puts the lie to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so probably we shouldn't have done that. And we should have said they were always speaking Krakoan all the time. Eh. Uh, it's, it's fun to translate the bubbles. Actually. I, I, <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I love the fact that uh, at least the one time, uh, if I remember correctly, we had someone saying something in Spanish in Krakoan. Yes. <laughs> I recall. I think that was in Marauders. Yes, yes. It yes. Was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jerry, Jerry and I have fun with that sort of thing. Like, for example, we did a, we did a comic and uh, it probably wasn't well translated, but we did this comic that he wrote. Gosh, I forget what issue it was, but it was the issue about the Mexican Deadpool massacre. And it was in Spanish. And then we did an, a version of it because not everybody speaks Spanish. You'll be surprised to learn, including me. Um, we went, let's do a version of it in English, but, but let's do it in badly translated back to English, English. Like as in we did the Google translating for you because you were too lazy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so you took Spanish and Google translated to English. So it just kind of read off in real life. Not quite like in real life. We, we, we faked it. Like we, we, we did that and then made it sound better and all, and or sillier. Right. But <laughs> there's a couple of lines in the Spanish one that are in English. And those lines in the, in the English version, we translated into, you know, God, what's it called? I just forgot the name of it. Esperanto. Uh, oh, we translated oh, into Esperanto. <laughs> I was going to guess. I was like, do you mean the, the uh, proposed universal language? Esperanto? Yes. Yes, we did. Which is making uh, a weird comeback. I was reading what? recently. Yeah. Uh, some people are trying to do it again online somewhere. Wow. Uh, William Shatner once did a movie in Esperanto. That's my big Esperanto. Insane. Uh, Love it. Piece of trivia there. Yep, that's it. <laughs> oh. So, I'm sorry. Because we're we're, we weren't smart enough, Mark. That's why. I figured it would have just been irritating <laughs> to remember to do translated from Krakoa. In oh, no, we panels. wouldn't do that. We would right. just say they are like that. Oh, it would be yeah. that simple. But the fact that we have them sometimes actually speak in Krakoa means we blew that. Eh. <laughs> 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 well, Jordan, before we go, is there anything that you wanted to say about X of Swords that we didn't – or Ten of Swords that, uh, that we didn't <laughs> ask that, that you want to get out there? Oh, jeez. It's – it's great. Everybody involved in it is so excited about it. Whenever we work together to come up with new twists and moments in it, the place absolutely lit up and every single person was like, yes, 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 yes. And adding more bits and more bells and more whistles to it. It's a huge, huge labor of, labor of love and one that we've put a lot of work into. Cause again, we had a lot of extra time and guess what? We used all of it. 
We didn't just finish early, which probably would have been smart. <laughs> Instead, we just took all the time to make it that much better. So I really hope everybody loves it. I love it a lot. We're so excited to read it, and we're so excited that you came on to talk about it. Thank you so much, Jordan. It was my pleasure. Jordan, it, did you? If you wanted, if people wanted to find you online and you wanted to be found, what would be the easiest way? Uh, oh, sure. To, to be cool about it and to not bother you with things. Oh, well, uh, I'm up on Twitter at Crackshot with a zero instead of an O. Um, uh, and I don't listen. I, in, I I don't answer questions on there as much as I used to, but I do tweet about a classic issue of X Men every workday morning. Uh, I'm up to issue, as of recording of this, I am up to issue 52, I read this morning. It was not very good. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the early issues are not very good. Boy, I'm kind they, of unhappy. They're a toughie for me. Um, I tried to get through them, and I, I, I think the world of Stan and Jack, but those were really, those were really rough. <laughs> I mean, I'm having fun because I like overthinking them, and mm-hmm. both, both by like going, what's this ridiculous thing they're doing, and also sometimes going, Oh, how does this work with that retcon that we all know and love? But so I'm having fun anyway, but uh, I am very much looking forward to getting to the Claremont issues. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'm up on Twitter for there. Um, I also, as mentioned before, have a Sailor Moon podcast. It's called Sailor Business, in which uh, me and Chris Sims have been watching every episode of the 1992 Sailor Moon anime. We don't record it as much as we should, but we are up into the 190s out of 200 episodes. So there's a lot of episodes that you can listen to that a lot of people love. And otherwise, you can join us for the very end of it. Other than that, just check out the comics, man. They're fun. <laughs> there's many. Uh, well, thank you again. And readers, as always, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Chris's Pod. You can send us those longer form messages at Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. And please check out in the show notes links to our uh, Kofi and Patreon. That support is always appreciated. But if you can't support us monetarily, what else can you do, Chris? You can leave reviews on iTunes and other podcast platforms. You can even give us a five-star review on Facebook, of all places. Mm-hmm. And we'll shout you out on the show. You can check out our writing every week at XavierFiles.com. Well, thank you, readers. And thank you again, Jordan. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.